dirt road in a gooseneck Saddle up with me Dry land in God's country Crops far as I can see Headlights on both ends of my day This country life is for me Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Amlatsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jen. So, uh, how's your week been? You know, I, I really don't think we've checked on the cattle herd lately, and I know <laughs> that you had done some work um, on preg checking. <laughs> no, no preg checking. No yet. preg checking? No. Did I get it all mixed up? Must be somebody else, you know, that's got cows. You know what? I don't know if I'm coming or going anymore, so. <laughs> no, we put up hot wire around some Milo stocks and moved the cows last Sunday and put them over there. So why would you do that? Why would you put them out on Milo if, you know, I don't understand? Because we're out of grass and we are poor and don't have money to buy hay yet, so. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, my dad used to run cattle on Milo and they slick it up pretty well. Yeah. They, they like it. They've been out there a week, and you can tell they've been out there because they've been eating. They start getting a little shiny coat and a little happy. <laughs> I hope they're happy enough to stay where they're supposed to be. So we're having to haul <laughs> water, and that's a whole process, too. So. Oh, man. We're, how far are you hauling water? Just a couple of miles. It's not very far. Well, at least there's that. And you've got a water truck, so. No, we don't have a water truck. How are you hauling it? We have a, an extra pickup that's got the... Oh, the chemical tote things that yeah. we've got strapped to the pickup, and two of them will fill a tank, so. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> and Sean's been complaining because he's in charge of filling the water up at night in the tanks. <laughs> well, then, kiddo, welcome to being a farm kid, because uh, you learn responsibility and chores early on. After about day three, he kind of melted down and... It lost the appeal? It. Yes, not having it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's not an option. So he had to be politely told that you are part of this operation, and part of this operation is taking care of cows, and that includes watering said cows. So, You know, my brother would, um, before school, one of his responsibilities was to turn the water on and then before and before the bus, turn it off. So he'd get up. And he'd go outside and he'd turn the waters on, on a couple of the bullpens and everything, and then come back inside, have breakfast, and get ready. And then he'd go back outside and turn off waters and, and that while Dad was, you know, loading up the silage wagon to feed the steers mm -hmm. that we would had down in a pen. There's all sorts of small chores like that, that at his age, at, at when you're a youngster, mm -hmm. They just seem so huge and so boring and just, ugh. Yeah. But they are part of pulling your weight around the farm. Yes. And, and like my dad used to say, you know what? We don't have anything around here that doesn't have a, a purpose. Oh, yes. <laughs> so you better figure out your purpose and, and meet that purpose. <laughs> yeah. So I would have to rearrange my route to town and drive by and make sure everybody's still in and that they have water, so... And are the girls staying in? Yeah, so far. Good, because I know you had that Houdini calf. <laughs> well, the calves are still at our house. They need to go to the sale mm -hmm. and find a, a good time for them to go. And 
They've stayed in so far. Okay. <laughs> but there's deer that cross across these mile sections that where these cows are at. So they have a tendency to tear some fence down. One more reason why we enjoy deer hunters. <laughs> Come on out, folks. Be sure to hit the ones with the antlers, not the other kind, okay? <laughs> Go for antlers. Yes. <laughs> Make sure you have antlers. <laughs> Um, we, we do love deer hunters, but we prefer you to hit the deer and not the cattle. Exactly. So, hey, didn't the boys have a, a school program or something this week? Last night they had, Sh- Sean had a uh, Thanksgiving program. They don't do Christmas programs around here apparently. No more? I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> Since he's been in grade school, they haven't had a Christmas theme program. Wow. And last night it was yeah. all about... What you eat at Thanksgiving, there was no talk of what you're thankful for or anything like that. It was, I'm guessing they have to vanilla it down to well, make it okay. for everybody. So to, so to be completely fair, when you look at the breadth of music available to you for a Thanksgiving-themed That's thing, <laughs> there's not a lot out there, Kayleen. <laughs> I'm just going to blunt with you. There's like over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house. Um, the old gray goose. I don't know I if you. Yeah. 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 Those are your two things. Those are your two standbys. <laughs> Otherwise you start dipping into the, the prayer hymnals. So mm, that'll, that'll get you all sorts of cards and letters and everything. There's far more Christmas themed music because back in the day, the churches actually paid for composers to create Christmas cantatas and Easter cantatas because that was how that that's was how people go to church. Well, yeah, that's who fu- that's who funded people like Bach and Beethoven and Brahms, and it was either the church or the or the the crown, and so that's how we have such classical music like that. Just as a, a reminder, <laughs> folks. Okay, if they paid for it. They got to dictate what it was about. No, she just wants to burst my bubble about all the political correctness that's going no. on. Sorry, hon. <laughs> hey, I come from a, a background where we did a Christmas Vespers concert. And it was very much um, on a Sunday. And it was, you know, the, the music was traditional Christmas carols and Big, big pieces. Um, The finale was always the Hallelujah Chorus. But here's the thing. If you are a serious music teacher, you teach to the serious music, which was written by people that were funded by the church or the crown (laughs) and got to dictate what it was about. (laughs) So there. (laughs) I, I will say this. There's not that many Halloween theme songs either, and I'm very frustrated about that because I always like to put together holiday playlists, especially when I'm handing out candy at, at Halloween, you know? There's the Monster Mash and the theme from The Exorcist, and that's about it. The Adams Family theme, probably. <laughs> the Adams Family theme, the Munster theme, but there's very little Halloween kind of spooky music, yeah. you know? So... Somebody get out there and start making some some more stuff. I think the last time any Halloween music was recorded was 1962. Yeah, something like that. So, yeah. Well, hey, um, I am trying to get all my ducks in a row. I've got a week to get everything ready before we head up to Montana to see family for Thanksgiving. So, pretty excited about that. 
Uh, we've got Cotton U coming up the first week of December, December 5th at the Amarillo Farm Show. And we've got a whole bunch of um, good speakers lined up. We've got the meal lined up. I just have a few final finishing touches to do, and we will be ready to go for our first ever Cotton U, Kayleen. Yeah. Aren't they only having 150 meals? It's only 150 meals. And so far, we have about half of those seats filled. That's good. It's extremely amazing. Um, we love our farmers, and we know that December in Texas and cotton country, <laughs> A, it might be questionable weather-wise, but B, y'all might still be picking cotton. <laughs> I remember when we went to Amarillo to barrel rice, and it was probably 80 degrees when we left Dodge City. <laughs> and we get down to Amarillo, and it's just as nice down there, but the next day... It came in, and it was snowing when we ran barrels. Yeah, you guys, and coming home, it was slicker and... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was more snow up here, so you can get anything this time of year. Well, here's hoping and praying to whoever you pray to. <laughs> that, um, the weather holds out, and uh, we have a great turnout for our first ever Cotton U. I have just been so just so tickled with the response from people um, just knowing that there is a real need out there for this type of information. Yeah. And so our hope is that we got, we put the right speakers in front of the right folks that are making some decisions. You know, one of the things with our U events is we never, we never try to, to teach you what you already know. We want to expand what you don't know and keep you thinking. You should have windshield conversations coming home. As in, you're in a, in a truck with your, the, the people that you came to the meeting with, and you have those conversations about how can we do it better? How can we do it cheaper? How can we do, you know, where can we cut our costs? Where can we make more? And that's what we do with the U events, and, and I'm, I'm really excited, Kayleen. You can't tell, can you? <laughs> She's excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we have Soil Health U, which you have if you haven't already done so, November 18th is our deadline, the early bird deadline for reduced registration. And that reduced registration is just $75. Um, that goes up on November 19th. So you don't want to delay in getting your ducks in a row there. And I am starting to work on programming for our popular Alfalfa U series of events. Um, we're going to be in, in St. George, Utah, then uh, Gary, Nebraska, and then Dodge City, Kansas in February. So um, really, 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 really busy around here, Kayleen. <laughs> those meetings always have something good to listen to and something to take home from. So sure. They're, they're a good, good time, good way to spend a day. Mm-hmm. They sure are. You know, I did get a phone call the other day. I, I love it when we get phone calls from readers, Kayleen. Don't you? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> we like our readers. We like our readers. So I, I got a phone call the other day from a reader who has a bone to pick about property taxes in Kansas. And he told me that his property taxes have doubled from $20,000 to $40,000 in the last decade. He didn't add any land. You know, nothing's it's all changed. Zoned the same. It's all zoned the same. But the county has the lowest population in the state. And so he pointed out, quite rightly so, farmers like him are starting to carry the burden for the county services where, where there's fewer people in mm -hmm. the county. Um, 
We have land in Clark County and we have land in Ford County and the property taxes. There's about the same amount of land in each county that we have in property taxes in Clark County are half of what they are in Ford County. Ugh. And I mean, Clark, Clark County probably has three big towns if you want to consider Ashland and Mineola and mm-hmm. whatever else is in their big towns. But if you think about the services that you're paying for in Ford County versus the services that they got to pay for in Clark. Yeah. I mean, is there more, is there more improved roads? Are there more bridges? Is there, you know, hospitals, schools, <laughs> you know, Dodge City has a college. Yeah. We, we have the Dodge City Community College. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, we all love the services that we get. Well, not love. We appreciate the services that we get. But at the same time, the, the property or the way that we fund our local governments, that really hasn't changed since the founding of, of Kansas, mm-hmm. honestly. I don't yeah. think we've had any major changes the burden's always been on the people that own the land. Well, when you have fewer people in a county and fewer people own the land, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. So that's one of the things that uh, that I've been hearing rumbling about out in the out in the land. I don't know. What do you? What else do you think, Kayleen? I don't have a whole lot of experience, you know, with paying property mm-hmm. taxes. I mean, we've only lived in our place for 10 years, so, and that's all wrapped up with the, the mortgage and all that stuff. But since we've owned the land, it's just so many things you have to keep track of as far as, you know, property taxes and insurance and all this stuff. And I think, I don't know, the best way to, to understand it all is to educate yourself and mm-hmm. go to the county commission meetings, go to the different groups and listen to what people are doing like the hospital board and all this other county Mm -hmm. level stuff that's going on and see what's going on and educate yourself you know that's it's so true you've got to actually be aware we just had a a elections last last week or so that was last week that we went to the polls and Mm -hmm. and chose our local officials and things folks those local elections that's critical because we're going to start sending people um, you know, the people that we send to our state houses are the ones that are figuring out the property tax formulas mm-hmm. and they're figuring out how to keep hospitals open in rural communities to provide services. Yeah, there was a local community uh, here in Ford County that they had, what, three or four open spots on the school board and nobody was on the ballot for it. Well, and school boards, school boards are critical yes. to your community. They can make or break a school. Yeah. They can either drive people away from being a teacher in your school district or they can attract good teachers mm-hmm. because if you've got a good supportive school district or school board, you are going to have people lined up to try to come and teach in, in your school district. Yeah, and in, in my experience, you know, in these smaller communities around, there's farmers that are on the school board. There's ranchers that are on the school mm-hmm. board. And it's not just because they have kids in the district. It's because they care about what goes on in their district. Well, and you got to think what you are, the children that are in your school district are essentially the product of your community. They are the product of what you have invested in. So if you're, if you care about the crop inputs that you're putting out there, if you care about the, the decisions you make with your cow herd and, and what feed, you know, what your, your rations are, et cetera, et cetera. Why shouldn't we care about what goes into the minds of our children that we send out into the world? And hopefully they'll come back. Um, you know, we had a, we're going to have a, a cover coming up from our colleague, uh, 
Shauna Rumbaugh about brain gain mm -hmm. coming back to these communities. You have to put some investment and some time into into the children. A of all, nobody nobody begrudges school districts, right? right. I would hope not. <laughs> so, but B of all, you have to you have to be aware that you invest in them, but you have to invest in wisely, and you have to be knowledgeable about what's going on in your community. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I was one of those kids that came back to my my hometown, yeah. you know, and. It was just a choice that I had to think long and hard about that if I wanted to be here or not, you mm -hmm. know, about the opportunities that were available. And now that I have kids, it's it's like I want to know what's going on in my community and know what's going on in the county. And, you know, it's my job to educate myself as far as mm -hmm. that sort of thing goes. Well, and I look at it this way. I'm a product of the Chapman School District. I did not return to Dickinson County to live, to work, to... Um, pay back the people that invested in my education. But I'm using that in Ford County. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that there is at least one person that came from Ford County and settled in Dickinson County. And so whoever, <laughs> you know, wherever they do end up, yeah. you, you have a you have an obligation to kind of invest in the in the kids in the community and make sure that no matter where they land, hopefully back home, hopefully in a rural community, hopefully they're doing something good. But the product that you sent forth is the very best product you possibly can put out there. And and I know that sounds crass calling kids a product, but <laughs> it's essentially what it is. They are. At the same time, we say all of this, but we're not stupid. The money has to come from somewhere. So this is where we're at. We've got to figure out a different way, a better way of funding schools that doesn't rely solely on landowners. And, and I know Kansas has had its problems in the past, <laughs> and I am no expert on that. Um, but I think you're going to start seeing in the state house this winter, next spring, more conversations about um, the property tax formulas out there and, and really taking a hard look at it. Because when the ag economy is down, property taxes still have to be paid. Yeah. And like my caller explained to me the other day, He's farming just to make sure that he's a step ahead of the tax man. Yeah. Uh, I, we went to, or I went to see the tax lady this week, so mm -hmm. yeah, I know what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's certainly something that we, uh, we should really ponder out here in farm country. If you've got a comment or a thought, drop us a line at hbjtalk at hbj.com and let us know. Or you can call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. In this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the November 11th print edition. And then we've got a word from U.S. Secretary of Ag, Sonny Perdue, from his recent trip to Mexico. And as always, Kayleen's back with the markets. It's T minus two weeks, folks, until the family descends on the farmstead. So, while you're cleaning up the place, shining up the good silver... Turn up the speakers and ride with us here on HPJ Talk. Our cover story this week was from Jenny. U.S. farm exporters look at Southeast Asia for trade opportunities. Jenny, you have been to Vietnam. What makes it appealing to U.S. exporters? 
Well, in 2018, Vietnam, Thailand, and Myanmar imported more than $42 billion in ag goods. And they are the three fastest growing economies in Southeast Asia, Kayleen. And they are an ideal place for our agricultural goods and, and commodities. They regard U.S. goods and commodities with so much trust um, that in Vietnam, U.S. goods have a 90% likability rating. So think about that for a second. We can't even get a 90% likability rating in the United States on anything. But in Vietnam, they, they see the U.S. brand and they will buy it 90% of the time. Um, a lot of the products that they're looking to import, um, the High Plains stands to win big. Uh, Texas cotton growers export $2.61 billion in cotton. And those three countries are looking for cotton for their manufacturing plants. Iowa's pork producers, they export $2.2 billion in pork. They are the number one exporter for pork in the United States. With African swine fever raging in that part of the world, pork export, exports should find a market. Same with dairy, beef, wheat, corn. Um, it's, a, it's a good market to start looking at, especially um, because we are, we are trying to open up new markets in this era of trade wars. So really, it's a, it's a good thing. Sounds like it. That's pretty interesting. Well, if you want to read more about this story, be sure to check it out online at www.hpj.com. Inside, David Murray, our colleague at the Waterways Journal, writes about a panel of CEOs of farm credit organizations and what they think of the ag economy. On our editorial page, editor Dave Bergmeier writes about the heartbeat of Veterans Day is grounded in the prairie. Kansas Sun President Dwight D. Eisenhower said this of Veterans Day. Quote, as we now eclipse the century mark of the founding of Veterans Day, the agriculture community is at the heart of our country. The courage and willingness to do what is right, even in tough economic times, is alive and well in the High Plains region. So take time to thank and remember those who served, for their heartbeats made the difference, end quote. We want to thank all the veterans listening and their families for their service to our nation and our freedoms. Leading our livestock pages, Kayleen has a story about Fort Worth approving ground lease for possible relocation of the American Quarter Horse Association. If developed, the land in question could house the AQHA headquarters and a museum, which are currently in Amarillo, Texas. If you have a response to something you've heard or read, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. Or call us at 1-800-452-7171. We want to hear from you. Attend Soil Health U in Salina, Kansas, January 22nd and 23rd. Farmers and ranchers will learn how to sustainably maximize profit from every acre of land. This two-day trade show features an ag producer panel, breakout sessions, and keynote speakers like Ray Archuleta and Lance Gunderson. Early bird tickets are available now through November 18th for 75 bucks. Register at SoilHealthU.net, sponsored by High Plains Journal. Again, 22nd and 23rd, Salina, Kansas. Register online at SoilHealthU.net. This week, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue took questions from media and reporters during a weekly call updating on their recent trip to Mexico. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you all for joining us. I just uh, landed uh, from Mexico City a little over an hour ago, and uh, I thought we had a very successful uh, uh, trade mission down there. We uh, 
achieved our goals, obviously uh, generating new export opportunities for our collaborators and cooperators here. Uh, we had uh, probably a hundred different folks there from 14 different states, uh, different directors, secretaries of agriculture, as well as uh, 28 different businesses there. And we uh, we had good uh, good trade mission. I think about 600 uh, business to business meetings there going on. So. Uh, uh, helped to generate new export opportunities. Certainly, we uh, USMCA came up. Uh, obviously, Mexico, as we are, are anxious to have that ratified here. They've already done their work, as you know, and uh, they're anxious for us to complete uh, complete our task here. And we discussed that as well. And certainly, just uh, business is done on a on a person to person basis, and really just the building on the trust relationship that we have our, with our neighbors to the south. It was good to visit with Secretary Villalobos again. I invited him again to that Outlook Forum, and uh, he is accepted, and we hope to have uh, what we're calling the Western Hemisphere Ag 5 here at the Ag Outlook Forum, our uh, colleagues from Canada, Brazil, and Argentina, where we can continue to uh, strategize over Western Hemisphere agricultural issues. But uh, we... Uh, had a good meeting with our ambassador. I was very impressed with Ambassador Landau uh, as a, a very distinguished attorney, uh, uh, highly decorated uh, Harvard graduate, but uh, has a real passion for agriculture. It was very demonstrated that way, and uh, he had already uh, knew a lot about it and was on top of it, but he was a great presence, and I think it'll be a big, uh, big help. Naturally, in all these trade missions, you have an opening plenary session with all of our cooperators and we had a uh, good session there they got their instructions regarding the different meetings and things like that and then we had a, a formal bilateral with Secretary Villalobos and his whole staff it appeared there were several there where we discussed uh, the various issues of uh, issues between us such as biotech issues and things like that and then uh, we had lunch with the president's chief of staff Mr. Alfonso Romo and uh, he is an accomplished scientist as well, and uh, I felt very good making that relationship with him, and I think we have an avenue in the president's office over issues in that way. Then we had a little fun in the afternoon with a uh, NFL promotion event, playing kids uh, with flag football there. It was sort of a highlighting an American kind of tailgate party with uh, healthy foods and uh, a lot of uh, entertainment around a field, and then uh, I got to play around with some kids in the flag, flag football. I had no idea that American football was as popular as it is in Mexico, but they've got over, I think, over three to four million Mexican kids playing American flag football. And so uh, we had a little opportunity to visit with them. And then concluded last night with a reception at the ambassador's house where all the uh, uh, our people and uh, others came and uh, had a chance to fellowship there and talk about uh, – their plans and what they're uh, what they were hoping to accomplish again in the next day or to next day or two. So that's uh, that's kind of what we did. It was a successful meeting, and I'd be happy to uh, address answer any questions that you may have regarding our trip. Our first question of the day belongs to Heather Scott of AFP. Heather, good afternoon. Oh yes, I'm here. Sorry, I was on a headset. 
Uh, thank you for taking the call, Instructor. Um, uh, first, I just have to point out that if you're having healthy food, it's not an American tailgate. <laughs> I felt the same way, but we're trying to change uh, change the culture a little bit. <laughs> Never had healthy food at tailgate. Anyway, um, I, I wonder if in your conversations, especially with the minister, the issue of um, immigration and its impact on agriculture came up, and and uh, have you, you know, what. Are you hearing from farmers in the U.S. about the impact of immigrants um, and, and their ability to, to to get their harvest in, and if it's raising costs in the sector, yeah. labor costs? I mean, that was one of the primary issues we wanted to talk about was the labor issue and uh, encouraging Mexico to do what we feel like uh, other uh, triangle countries are doing and help pre-certify, uh, particularly those. Uh, Farmers and people in southeastern Mexico, maybe the poorest of the poor there, who would like to come to the U.S. for economic uh, opportunities and a, and a reliable ag labor workforce there to uh, work with us in that way. They seem very interested in that, and uh, obviously it would be a win-win situation. Our agricultural producers here need the, uh, need the labor, and uh, hopefully as we're making progress over modernizing our H-2A rules and uh, Hopefully having some uh, uh, legislative uh, input uh, coming soon that can facilitate that. And uh, we uh, we found Mexico to be very interested in that. Obviously, they're interested in raising the standard of living uh, in southeastern Mexico particularly. Uh, I pointed out the fact they can come here and uh, earn a good living uh, from based on their standard of living here in a seasonal way. And then even go back with the training they learned here and become uh, small stakeholder entrepreneurs in their own country. So those are some of the things that we talked about. We go back to the phone lines. P.J. Huffstutter of Lawyer News has the next question for the Secretary. P.J., good afternoon. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call, uh, Secretary Purdue. Uh, just a couple of quick questions uh, to follow up on the labor question. Um, has there been... Um, you know, has, you know, what were some of the, the key sticking points, if there were any, in your discussions over uh, labor when, when you guys were down in Mexico? There really weren't any sticking questions. Well, frankly, we both agreed that the, uh, uh, a modernized H-2A program where they uh, help to pre-certify people who are qualified to come here and help to train those workers and help to teach them what is expected uh, in, a, in a more formal way will allow our producers here in the U.S. to have a pool of people from which to draw from. We've had some issues this year over where recruiters have uh, uh, been called into uh, having people pay, and there have been some difficulties with the State Department over some recruiters that may not have been playing by the rules. This would eliminate that. I think they like that idea. Uh, and, and being able to participate in that to pre-certify and identify the people, maybe those uh, folks that they deem to need it the most and uh, allow that to happen. So we felt like that was uh, a good result, and uh, I, I don't know that we really found any sticking points. The, the, the benefit, of the, the win-win situation that I see is that they and I feel like it would also help to resolve the, as they think, the irregular immigration or illegal immigration that we've been plagued by, by having an avenue for these people to come in a legitimate to government to government type of certified program. The next question of the day belongs to Mike Dorning of Bloomberg News. Mike, good afternoon. Thanks for doing the call, Secretary Purdue. Can you tell us about 
any substantive talks you had on USMCA, uh, any uh, progress you've made on uh, addressing uh, the concerns Democrats have raised, any any um, representations from Mexico about what they're willing to do, anything else new on that that you can offer us? Well, obviously, they are very anxious to have the USMCA ratified. They still seem to be very pleased on their part uh, with the, the provision of USMCA. They don't expect uh, uh, any major uh, changes there, and I don't think Ambassador Lighthizer does as well. He feels that uh, the issues that he's been negotiating with on the Democratic side are attainable and uh, can be done, and we're just anxious to get those things done sooner rather than later. I think uh, the later it goes, the longer it becomes possible to become entangled in uh, politics that it would not be helpful to uh, the agreement, and we certainly don't want to forfeit that uh, uh, on the altar of uh, politics in that way. So Mexico's fine. They, I went with them. I It was not an issue where... Uh, I was looking to uh, negotiate the changes that we were making. That was not the purpose of my trip. We just uh, we just talked about both of us being anxious for it to be ratified. Go back to the phone lines, and Brian Almer of the Barn has the next question of the day for the Secretary. Brian, good afternoon. Thanks for that call. Appreciate it. That last question was just asked was kind of along the same lines I had, and I wanted to shift gears with that being answered. Um, Secretary Perdue, Appropriations, are you at all worried about that getting done before the end of the year? Because it looks like they may be uh, going to do a CR. Well, we're always anxious to have our budget approved, as you might know. When you get CR after CR after CR and you finally get appropriated, that's not very good planning, and it, it makes it difficult for us to, to manage our business going forward. So uh, uh, absolutely, we'd love to see uh, a budget deal done even prior prior to this uh latest or the most recent CR being uh, uh, exhausted, and uh, I would hope that be done. That's obviously in the uh, congressional uh, area, but uh, naturally from a from a executive perspective, from a management perspective, the sooner we can know the resources that we have to do to deal with and to uh, utilize, the better it is. We go back to the phone lines, and Kara Hart from the Red River Farm Network joins us now with the next question from the Secretary. Good afternoon, Kara. Thank you so much for taking my question, and I have two. USMCA was one of them before, but I didn't see any potato industry representation on this trip, so my first question is, did you have a chance to talk about that at all? Was that at all discussed about maybe opening up more access to U.S. potatoes in Mexico? And second is... Uh, in relation to secretarial disaster declarations, I just wanted to clarify with Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue how soon those disaster declarations can be turned around in this tough time. Thank you. Sure. First of all, there, there were uh, uh, potato representatives there, uh, and they did a good job. But uh, we don't ever talk to Mexico without talking about potatoes and uh, and getting uh, more access to potatoes. It's interesting that the processors and retailers in Mexico are just as anxious as we are to get our U.S. potatoes. As you may know, the, the holdup has been the producers down there uh, went to the courts, and it's uh, in, a, uh, in a court uh, situation right now. We hope to have a a judicial decision uh, out of their Supreme Court before the end of the year that can allow us to move along with uh, with that. We think the government has actually been helpful. 
this has been something that's been stopped by the producers themselves in court. We, uh, we're grateful for the cooperation we've had from Mexican authorities and, uh, we're hopeful that the courts can give us a ruling where we could, uh, proceed and have access beyond that 26 kilometer uh, barrier that we're uh, confined to right now, which would certainly be a plus for that. Regarding the uh, the disaster payments, uh, certainly the interesting thing on the disaster provision of, that was passed this spring is that it was capped at uh, a finite amount of $3.2 billion, and we have several types of disasters. Many people think of hurricanes or fires, but as you know, Flooding and uh, prevented planting has been uh, a problem early on, and now certainly in your area, uh, in the Dakotas, the, the flooding of harvest and the potential of uh, uh, freeze coming in and not being able to get the beets or potatoes out of the ground. Uh, as far as how quickly that could be turned around, uh, we would go the insurance route initially to determine the degree of damage, uh, but the challenge will be the, uh, while the money was capped, the time period was all the way through 2019. So uh, we're going to have to talk and see if the uh, if the money's going to uh, match up with what the demand out there is. We're just releasing the uh, the block grants for the WHIP Plus uh, uh, to the states that faced the hurricane issues on issues that were not uh, routinely covered. Uh, in in your area, there are more traditional crop. Uh, uh, cropping patterns that have more standard uh, safety net provisions that, that we already have in place. But we still will be looking at uh, secretarial disasters in some of those flooded areas. I talked with the, the uh, commissioner, secretary of agriculture in North Dakota this morning before we left, and I think he told me, uh, I don't know, it seemed like 90% of the counties have been affected by this, least, uh, this latest snow and flood. But I, I can't give you a definitive time. There's some things that have to happen regarding what those losses are, uh, crops being uh, harvested, and to know uh, where we go from there. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue joining us on the phone line and also joining us with the next question of the day is Andy Gallen of the Washington Post. Andy, good afternoon. Hi, Secretary Perdue. Good afternoon. Can you hear me okay? Sure. I just had a question about uh, trade aid. Do you expect a third round of MSP and trade assistance anytime soon? Well, we're um, just uh, have gotten authorization on the second tranche, and you're asking about the third. Is that right? Or you're talking about for 2020? Uh, I think again, uh, the uh, the second tranche of the 2019 market facilitation program, uh, we'll be getting it ready. Uh, uh, hopefully, the end of this the end of this month or early December, and uh, certainly for another round. Uh, we're very hopeful that the China negotiations can come to a favorable conclusion. Uh, the numbers that we're talking about right now would be uh, uh, very beneficial to our agricultural producers, and uh, we're hopeful that uh, that the trade would uh, supplant any type of farm aid needed in 2020. In that regard, as farmers, you remember when they when we began that the mantra would they would rather have trade than aid, and that's what President Trump has focused on and uh, making sure that we reset these trade policies where our producers and much of the U.S. economy has been treated unfairly uh, through the years. And our final question of the day belongs to Danielle Liao of Agnet West. Danielle, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and uh, thanks, Sonny, for chatting with us today. Um, I'd like to get back to the trade mission and 
Um, and I want to talk California agriculture. I saw that Almond and Prune reps were there with you, but were there any talks that would benefit California producers during this trip, um, both for Almond and Prune producers and any other industries? Is so any specifics that you can talk about? Yeah, well, almonds were very well represented. In fact, the uh, the Blue Diamond uh, group uh, sponsored the, uh, the reception that we had, and I think they had the almonds on every uh, uh, every hors d'oeuvre tray that came out. So uh, I think they made a, a big hit. Obviously, we uh, uh, we feel like the uh, the news regarding almonds has turned uh, internationally, and I think uh, good news from Japan and, uh, and and China, hopefully both. So we hope to see. Mexico probably is not that big a consumer of uh, of almonds, but that's a good reason to be down there and help help them understand. We talked about the healthy tailgate eating. Obviously, nut snacks like that are uh, are, are part of that. So, uh, uh, I, I think uh, your almond people always do a really good job. The uh, the president of the almond group was there and the almond board, and uh, I think uh, they. Uh, they always fend for themselves very well. It's a good impression. So uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by them coming and being there uh, in that way. The grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Egg Resources on November 5th. Corn was down at $3.72. Wheat was up at $3.79. Milo was down at $3.17, and soybeans were up at $8.04. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com signup. Simply select the topics that interest you, and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Next week's print issue of High Plains Journal has a story on pheasant hunting by Kayleen. Be sure to watch for that in your mailboxes November 18th. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on places like iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. We're also on Instagram. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember... As Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day. Life is for me Ride with us HPJ Ride